0: This is the Indigo Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. This week's Indigo Mac Podcast security headlines include iTerm users beware. The popular terminal application you thought you downloaded may contain malware. Apple is offering users of older devices a choice of updating to iOS 14 or 15. Why is that? And if you're an iCloud user, you may have been automatically updated to iCloud Plus. We've got some valuable information on Apple's new iCloud Plus features. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long.
1: Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm disappointed. Oh, you're disappointed, what happened? Well, we got iOS 15 and iPadOS 15 that came out this week on Monday. And yeah. yet we have so much malware to talk about that we won't really be able to talk about these new operating systems very much. <laughs> well, we might spend a little bit of time talking about it, but- Well, a little bit. And I'm actually disappointed because it's dinner time here. We spent more than two hours discussing some of the things we're gonna be discussing on the podcast. We often spend about an hour planning, discussing, getting our links ready, and then we record. And here we're already more than two hours into our session and I'm getting hungry, so let's get to work. All right. Tell me about Zuru malware. Okay. so the story behind Zuru is that if you had
2: been doing a search for the iTerm application,
1: which is a legitimate application for Mac. It's a terminal emulator that replaces terminal. And if you had
2: been searching for this app, Using the Chinese search engine Baidu, one of the links up near the top would have redirected you to a fake iTerm website that would download a Trojan horse that appeared to be the legitimate iTerm app, but was actually not. It was actually a, a, a Trojan horse that would install malware on your machine. And it's being called Zuru just because of some... Interesting strings in in Chinese, I believe, that were embedded within the app. Um, and basically, um, Patrick Wardle put a couple of those strings together and he said, oh, Zuru. OK, well, that sounds like a good malware name. So let's go with that.
1: So basically, this is just... Kind of like when you do a Google search and you get directed to a website that says you need to update your Flash player. It's a similar thing? Yeah, it's kind of similar to that. In fact, there have been a lot of search engine poisoning
2: attacks in the past um, that have led to Trojanized you know, uh, applications. What's kind of unique and interesting about this is that it's particularly targeting Chinese speakers because, or Chinese readers, really, technically, um, because those are the people who would obviously be using the Baidu search engine, which is in Chinese. Typically, you would want to target the more popular search engines like Google if you were trying to, like, just make this as massively out there as possible. But for whatever reason, the people who made this malware were specifically targeting
1: Chinese users, which is pretty interesting. Well, it's entirely possible that they were maybe trying to use it for phishing attacks on people in Chinese banks or something like that.
2: Also, it turns out that it's not just iTerm. They were also imitating a couple of other different apps as well. There's a few disk images that have been found and other things, uh, secure CRT is another one. Navicat, uh, is, is another one. And these, so if you happen to have been looking for any of these other apps, it's also possible that you may have gotten a trojanized version. So um, if you are running the latest version of Intego's Virus Barrier X9 software with the latest definitions, you will be protected from this malware.
1: So we've got another one, and this is the one we spent so much time on trying to figure it out. Bleeping Computer is saying that there is a new macOS zero-day bug that lets attackers run commands remotely. But we can't quite figure it out because there's a proof of concept that you download a file, an an iNetLock file, dot inetlock, which is an internet location file. And when you open it, it opens the calculator app, kinda of like it's an alias. So it's referring to a file path on the Mac. So it's file colon slash slash application slash calculator dot app. And alias files can do this, simlinks can do this. And we don't know yet, this was just found, and we don't know yet if this is actually able to run arbitrary code or if it can only run something that's on your Mac. So we did a test earlier and I took one of the files and I sent it from my iMac to my MacBook Pro and I put it in the public folder of my user account. So I didn't log in and I was able to run the file without Gatekeeper saying, well, you know, are you sure you want to open this file or whatever? So it seems like these files, they're not applications, but we're not sure exactly how much code they can contain. Right. That, that's that's sort
2: of the thing that's a little bit unclear right now. Um, now, I did reach out to the developer who kind of um, publicized this exploit, and I, I'll, I'll be in a little bit more communication with that developer after our podcast recording today um, to try to see if I can get a little bit more information on how this could be exploited. I can kind of envision like some possibilities. Um, you know, maybe it's possible that if you um, maybe drop a shared file into uh, it, into a, into a sh- uh, maybe if you drop a file into a shared folder on that person's computer, you could send somebody a file like this that could then if, if they opened it, it would execute whatever code might have been in that shared folder. Um, That's a possibility. Maybe that's kind of one of the ways this could be exploited, but it's a little bit unclear exactly what somebody can do with this. What's really interesting about it is that it, it bypasses Apple's file quarantine. So, so gatekeeper. Gatekeeper, exactly, yeah. And So normally if you download certain types of files that are potentially executable content or potentially dangerous in some way, then uh, there, there's this quarantine bit that gets set on that file. And when you try to double-click on that file, especially if this is like an application or something, the first time you run it... It gets checked by a Gatekeeper to see if it's been run before. It gives you a little dialog box that says, hey, are you sure you want to open this? This was downloaded on this date and time from this particular website. You've probably seen those kind of dialog boxes before if you've ever downloaded anything outside of just the App Store on the Mac. And what's interesting about this is that it apparently bypasses Gatekeeper. It bypasses that that file quarantine. Although the file is quarantined, it's not treated like a quarantined file. And so that could mean that if you know the right thing to execute on the victim's computer, then you could maybe run some arbitrary code. Now, the, the, the trick is... Can that be chained with something else, possibly, to be able to run some code on their machine? Um, how do you get that code, or, or is there a way to execute a particular terminal command or something like that? That's the part that's a little bit unclear from what's out there in the public so far. And if we have some more details on that, we will uh, we'll notify you. Um, also interesting about this is that Apple actually did kind of sort of try to fix this already in Big Sur. It turns out that um, if you have one of these inet lock uh, extension files and the file path is file colon with slashes after that, and the file is all lowercase, that does get blocked. But if you capitalize any of the letters in the... Word file, then it's bypassed. Um, Apple doesn't have any protection for that. So this was sort of like a weird workaround. Apple didn't want to assign a CVE number of common vulnerabilities and exposure number, which often get assigned to vulnerabilities. They didn't even bother doing that because I guess Apple didn't feel like this was a big enough deal. Um, But now you've got people like Patrick Wardle who are saying, no, this is kind of a big deal. And so... Let's find out some more about this, and before we worry too much about it. Okay,
1: you say the file is blocked, but that's not true. The, the finder says that the file is damaged. Yes, it's not saying that it's blocked, and that's kind of interesting.:
2: Right. yeah, it is kind of interesting language, um, but in any case, um, we, if, if we have more just to, to say about this, if we have more details on how exactly this might be exploited, uh, we'll be sure to uh, put an article on the Mac security blog about that.
1: Okay, so we talked about how iOS 15 and iPadOS 15 were released on Monday. And one of the new features is that Apple will allow you to continue running iOS 14 instead of upgrading to iOS 15 and still get security updates for iOS 14. Yet the way that they're implementing this is, well, curious, but actually dangerous, isn't it, Josh?
2: First of all, we, we should backtrack a little bit and say um, that because iOS 14.8 came out last week, which fixed a couple of vulnerabilities, one of which, by the way, was associated with Pegasus spyware on, on iOS, these vulnerabilities were fixed in iOS 14.8. Um, however, I have several devices that haven't been updated yet in my, in my home, and some of them I just haven't gotten around to update yet. And... Usually you get a red badge with a number on it on the settings app on the iOS home screen. So when you look for that settings app, you'll have that little red badge that indicates that there's an update available or something that you need to do in the settings app. Usually it's an update. Well, I never got that update notification for 14.8, even though it included Two day vulnerabilities. That's kind of concerning already. But now once iOS 15 came out on Monday, I was actually really kind of curious to see what would happen. And so I left one or two devices that hadn't been updated and I left them to see what would happen once iOS 15 was out. And what I found was, not only is there still not a badge notifying me that there's an operating system update, even though there's two alternative operating system updates. Now, um, what, what Apple has chosen to do is they default to showing the update for iOS 14 first. If you have not yet updated to iOS 15, that update shows up as an also available at the very bottom of that update screen. And what I happen to notice is, of course, on one of my test devices, which is an older device, it happens to be an, uh, an iPhone 7, and the screen size is different, such that that iOS 15 also available is off the bottom of the screen. So you actually do see the text also available, but then you don't see anything below that. And those words also available at the very bottom of the screen. So unless you know to scroll down and like see what else is there, you may not really see it notice it or think much about it. And you may not even notice that iOS 15 is out. So first of all, no prompt, for iOS 14.8, no prompt for iOS 15, and they're encouraging people to upgrade to iOS 14.8 rather than 15, even though 15 is also out.
1: Okay, let me share an experience here. Now, once the iOS 15 release candidates were out, I updated my iPhone and my two iPads. But my partner has an iPhone SE second generation. I'm pretty sure that I told her when iOS 14.8 came out to update right away because of these zero-day vulnerabilities. But before the show, I looked on her phone, and it says, iOS 14, you're up to date. And below, it says, also available iOS 15. Now, I could understand Apple not promoting iOS 15 for older devices. This is a six-month-old iPhone, so it's not a problem for hardware. But what it seems like is that they're defaulting to iOS 14. So there's going to be two upgrade paths. If you upgrade to iOS 15, you'll get all the iOS 15 updates. If you stay on iOS 14, you'll just get the security updates. And it seems they're defaulting to the iOS 14 path for people who haven't manually updated to iOS 15. But there's not a link to say, if you want to understand why you're seeing two different operating system updates, tap here. It's all very confusing. Now, we saw an article on MacRumors. I'll link in the show notes. iOS 15 adoption lower than iOS 14 over first two days, says Mixpanel. Mixpanel is a company that collects data about how people use things. So they said as of Wednesday at 12 a.m. Eastern time, 8.5% of users had installed iOS 15 compared to around 145 for iOS 14 at midnight on the second day after the software update was released last year. So fewer people know that iOS is out, and people who follow Mac News and Apple News and all that, they know about it. But civilians, they don't know about it. They're not seeing a prompt. My partner's iPhone doesn't have a badge on the settings app to say, well, look here because there is an update available. And I find this all a bit odd that Apple's actually not prompting people to move to iOS 15. Yeah, well, there's also
2: some other potential concerns here too. I reached out to Apple on Monday, right after the iOS 15 update came out, and I asked Apple, hey, I noticed like scrolling through the list of vulnerabilities that have been fixed in iOS 15, um, you don't say anything about that Pegasus vulnerability, and you don't say anything about that other WebKit vulnerability that you claimed was actively exploited in the wild. So what, what does that mean? Like, were they not fixed in iOS 15 yet? Um, should should we wait to install 15? Were Are they fixed some, somehow like inherently by default? And normally what I think what Apple does in that case is they would just say, they would list the CVEs and say that they were fixed in that version, even if that was just by virtue of updating to the newest operating system, right? So that's really still unclear. Apple never responded. Um, And, and, you know, Apple's kind of notorious for not necessarily responding to press inquiries about things like this. But um, we still don't know. Are are those two major in-the-wild vulnerabilities fixed in iOS 15? There's nothing in iOS 15's release notes that says anything about an actively exploited vulnerability being fixed. So should we be recommending
1: to people to update to 14.8 now? Okay, so we've got lots of question marks. And when we find out more, we'll let you know. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're actually going to talk about some new iOS 15 features.
0: Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intigo.com today. When you're ready to buy... Intego Mac podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users made by the Mac security experts.
1: Okay, before we get to iOS 15, Josh really wants to talk about a Netgear router code execution bug. He has 37 seconds. Go.
2: Okay. The gist of this is if you have a Netgear router, make sure it's updated because there's another exploit. Da da.
1: Okay, Josh, please don't do that again. Don't sing. Okay. I don't like that. All right, let's move on to iOS 15. Actually, the new features that we want to talk about is iCloud Plus, which adds some interesting security and privacy features. And it's going to be available for Mac OS Monterey, but since Monterey isn't out, it's only available for iOS 15 and iPadOS 15, which is a bit confusing because these are features that are supposed to be on all the devices. And, you know, the fact that they're staggering the releases is problematic. If you have a paid iCloud account. So if you're paying even a buck a month for extra storage, you've probably gotten an email already telling you about iCloud Plus and what you get. If not, you've probably gotten an email suggesting that you upgrade your account for as little as $1 a month or one pound to get 50 gigabytes of storage and these additional features. So we talked about this a bit in June. We've actually got some detailed articles about how to use these different features. And we're going to go through them again, because I, I think they're really good iCloud Plus, as long as you got the paid account, it's free, and you get four things. You get iCloud Private Relay, you get Hide My Email, you get HomeKit Secure Video, and you can have a custom email domain hosted by Apple. So... We talked about iCloud Private Relay. I have an article on the Integro Max Security blog talking about these four features, and it links to some more in-depth articles about these different features. iCloud Private Relay is kind of sort of like a VPN, but it's not. It's kind of like a proxy service that masks your address. What's interesting is you may find that if you're using iCloud Private Relay, you may not be able to use certain websites. Now, I discovered this when I one day came across a Wikipedia article recently. And I said, there's something wrong on the internet. I'm going to fix it. So I went to edit the Wikipedia article and I've done a lot of edits on Wikipedia. So I was logged in on my iPhone and I got a message saying that I was not allowed to make any edits because I was using a proxy or something else. And there are other websites that are going to be doing this. Right. And, and so that is a concern for iCloud Plus, um, as well as, of course, with
2: using VPNs and other services like that as Well, one thing that I've run into frequently while using a VPN is if if I go to a search engine that's supposedly privacy focused and I tried to do searches with um, particular modifications. Like, for example, um, you may know that if you want to search a particular site with the search engine, you can do site colon and then the domain of that website that you want to search. And for whatever reason, in particular, I have this problem with start page. If if I try to do those kind of searches when I'm connected to a VPN, it freaks out. It won't, you know, it'll say, oh, I don't know, you might be doing something kind of suspicious and weird. And it doesn't let me actually complete the search. And there's not even like a captcha or anything else that I can prove that I'm actually a human. It just says, if you continue to have these problems, please let us know, are you using a VPN? And then, of course, if you try to let them know, they just ignore you and they never actually fix the problem. (laughs) So this is something that could also happen with with iCloud Plus as well, because it is using a proxy, which in that sense is somewhat similar to a VPN because it masks your IP address. That's that's the whole idea uh,
1: behind the proxy feature of iCloud Plus. Okay, it's worth pointing out that Apple says that this is still a beta. If you go into the settings app on an iOS device, tap your name, then tap iCloud, you'll see a list of all the different iCloud features that you can use. And you'll see private relay in parentheses beta. So if you do want to try this, it will protect your privacy in some ways, but be aware that it might not work. And if you do see a problem with the website, like we described, go back to the settings and turn it off temporarily. Perhaps it's a beta because of this sort of problem. And Apple's trying to work out a way to indicate that this is actually Apple and not some random VPN server. I don't know if, if if that would make any difference for most of these sites.
2: It is interesting and, and something we'll monitor. And I would say um, this is probably something that we would be interested in emails from you. If, if you have experienced something like this while using iCloud+, Plus, let us know, podcast at
1: intigo.com. Okay, the second one is hide my email. and And I really like this. And we explained how this works in June. Essentially, iCloud creates a random email address that forwards to your email address. And you may have seen this with Sign In with Apple, which you can use on a handful of websites and some apps. I've only got two apps that use it, and I've rarely seen it on websites. So it's not that widespread. But you can also go to iCloud.com, and you can create new addresses. You can create addresses on your iOS devices. You'll be able to do it on your Mac soon. What's really good about this is you can sign up on a website with an address like this. And if you start getting spammed, you can just deactivate the address. You don't even have to worry about, OK, I've clicked unsubscribed. They're still sending me email. You can just wipe your presence. You know, Apple just deletes it and doesn't worry about it. Yeah, this
2: is, I would say, probably one of the best new features of iCloud Plus. Um, just the the ability to easily create one-time use uh, email addresses or or that is one purpose use email addresses. I That's really, really useful. And um, I, I, I wish that more email services actually provided something like this. You, I think we mentioned when we first talked about this feature that there's uh, something kind of similar that you can do with Gmail with plus addressing. So if you have a Gmail address, you, you can have your username plus whatever you want after the plus sign at gmail.com. And that. Sort of kind of works for this purpose, but the problem is then they they can just strip off the plus and everything after that and know your actual email address. Um, also, the other problem that you'll have is that a lot of forms like that you're filling out when you're entering your email address, they don't accept the plus character for whatever reason. I've even experienced with one particular company, maybe a couple where the plus character was accepted by the form, but then I never got emails from the company mysteriously. And it turned out that they weren't handling that plus character
1: as they were supposed to. Now, you're supposed to be able to send emails from your iCloud account with these addresses. And I can't see this being available yet. I've got a number of addresses that I've set up. And when I go to create an email on my iPhone, I don't see the option. But this is something that you're supposed to be able to do. You should understand that you don't have to create one address for each service you want to use. You could create one address you use every time you sign up on the web for different services. One of the limitations here is you can only create 100 addresses for now. So for, if you're going to use it on, for every single website you sign up on, you might not want to do that. The third thing is a custom email domain, and I've got a custom email domain, and you do too, and it's the best thing to have because you know that if you ever move providers, you're still going to have your email address. Imagine that you're using a Mac.com email address, and you decide you don't want to use Apple stuff anymore, and you move to Android. Well, you're going to have to tell everyone, and I mean everyone, what the new address is, and that's not easy. So you can reserve a domain name with any of the 16 million domain registrars around the world. It can cost, I don't know, as little as 10 bucks a month and as much as, you know, millions if you get some really fancy name to buy a domain name. And you can go to the iCloud settings on the web. You can only do this on the web on iCloud.com, and you can add this custom email domain. Now, this is interesting in two ways. One, you can use it just for yourself, or if you have a family group, you can use it for your family up to six family members. So you could have Josh at josh.com or josh's wife at josh.com or josh's children at josh.com, et cetera. So you could do all your email hosting with a custom address through Apple. Now, there's pros and cons here. I have my personal domain hosted by a different company because what if iCloud goes down? and, And so I use an iCloud address as a secondary address, but I wouldn't want to have both of my addresses with the same server in case something goes down. So if you've got a Gmail address as a backup and you want to put a custom domain on Apple and you're using a Mac.com, then you know there's all sorts of possibilities. Most people who don't use email for work like we do don't really care about it. But for me as a freelancer, my my personal domain is my business address. So it's too important to trust on the same server as my secondary address. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of
2: sense. I, I think for a lot of people, especially those kind of scenarios where maybe you're an entrepreneur, uh, you know, you don't really want to be sending email to somebody from a Gmail address, right? That just looks extremely unprofessional. And so, yes, have, having the ability to have a custom domain and actually use that custom domain with an Apple backend email service, that's... that's... That's actually pretty cool. So I'm I'm happy to see that Apple's doing this.
1: I I think Apple's pretty reliable. The one thing I don't like about Apple's email is that you get no visibility as to how they filter spam. Mm. And there have been reports over the years of things that have been filtered mysteriously. You'd send an email with certain words in it, and it never gets to where it's going. But there's no bounce. The person doesn't get it back. So that kind of makes me hesitate a little. By the way, Josh, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm a founder. Oh, you're a founder. (laughs) I am, yes. Uh, Not a unicorn yet. My company is just a cat, but it'll be a unicorn one day. (laughs) Okay, the fourth feature is HomeKit secure video. If you have security cameras at home or at work, I would assume, you'll be able to store video on HomeKit for up to 10 days, and you'll be able to use a certain number of cameras depending on your storage. So if you've got the, the cheap plan at a buck a month, 50 gigs of storage, you can store video from a single camera. If you have five cameras, you'll have to pay for 200 gigs of storage. And if you have more than that, you'll have to pay for the two terabyte account where you get unlimited cameras. Nevertheless, the video doesn't count against your storage. So I think they're just kind of saying, we want you to pay more if you have more cameras. They're not counting the the size of the videos against the storage. Now, this is really useful because if you've got a security camera, the video is going someplace, right? It's gonna to go to the company that made the camera, to their servers, which may or may not be secure. And if you can do it this way, I would kind of trust Apple a little bit more for end-to-end encryption on videos of, of around my home, for example.
2: Right. And there, there actually are um, a number of different cameras that are supported by this. Um, however, the list is, I would say, relatively small at this point. Some of the brands that do have models that are compatible would include uh, Arlo, there's Eufy Security, Logitech. And, and a handful of others. Um, those are probably the biggest name brands that are, that are on there. There is one D-Link model also that's compatible. But other than that... But
1: there's not Ring.
2: Yeah, exactly. Notably, there's not Ring, um, which, which is a very popular one, at least in the US. Um, so, yeah. It, it, it would be nice to see a little bit more support for these cameras, but um, it's nice to know that if you happen to have one of those models that's supported, that you can use iCloud for that.
1: Well... Next week, I hope we're going to talk more about iOS 15 and iPadOS 15, but we'll probably also talk a little bit about the new hardware because I've got two devices coming Friday, a new iPhone and a new iPad mini. And we'll certainly want to dig into them. And Josh, I know you're hesitating about ordering that new iPhone, and now it's like three or four weeks to get it. You missed that first batch. <laughs> yes, yeah. If I were to
2: place the order right now for the model that I've been eyeing, um, it'll get here in about a month, uh, toward the end of October. So yeah, I don't know. I, I need to make a decision here pretty soon if I don't want to uh, have to wait until sometime next year so.
1: Well, tune in next week, same time, same bat channel, to find out if Josh has ordered his iPhone.
0: (laughs) Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review.